if you've experienced that grace, how about an amen? amen? We are so, yeah, go ahead, clap for God's word. Amen. We clap for the ball teams and we clap for our children. We ought certainly be able to clap for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, April the 15th, days, dates often spark things like December the 25th is Christmas, you know, and, and then you have this April 15th thing called like tax day. But the United States government, in their infinite mercy, has given us two extra days. Amen. Taxes aren't due the 17th, I think. Is that right? Now, now listen, aren't you glad that God's got just a little bit more mercy and grace than that? Aren't you glad when it comes that's not two days, He can give you eternity with Him? It's an incredible thing. Now, I think it was, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who, who most recently, if you can call it that way back then, coined the phrase, nothing is certain in life but death and taxes. For the longest time, the word tax collector has just brought disdain into a congregation, into a conversation. Um, I'm certain that uh, Danny Reagan experiences that as our, our treasurer. I had the county treasurer at Cobden, Union County Treasurer, in my church. And he always loved when I talk about the tax collectors. Well, if it was hard for them then or now, it's certainly even harder then. Because you see, tax collectors, well, they weren't anyone's favorite. And today, I want to tell you a story from God's Word about grace about forgiveness, and then about a harsh reality. You know, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who have been forgiven and those who have not yet been forgiven. That's all there are in the whole entire world. And I want to speak to both of us today in this meeting. Our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question, okay? But it's important. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? Grant is buried. Would you all say amen? Grant is buried in Grant's tomb. Okay. Now, if it's the Gospel of Matthew, who do you think wrote the Gospel of Matthew? Yeah, I thought somebody was going to say Grant. No, no. Matthew did. All right. So that's very important in just a few moments as we read this story of amazing love and amazing grace. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. It starts with the great invitation. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. Now, by the way, in case y'all are one of those folks that keeps tabs of how often the preacher preaches a certain scripture, I checked. It's amazing. I reference this so often because it's one of my favorite stories. But I've not really done a message on this in several years. So I got excited. Oh, I can use this. It's, it's just incredible on tax day. Notice what the happens here, though. We see a man. Jesus sees a man sitting at a tax office. Now, to really understand this, you've got to understand the, the role of the tax collector. Um, they were just about as low as you could get on the pecking order in society in those days. I mean, you had your religious people and you had your ordinary people. Then you had your ordinary sinners. And then you had the really intense sinners. And then you had the tax collectors at the bottom. I'm sure words like this, um, hopeless, not welcome, not wanted, traitor, bottom feeders. My wife used in her Sunday school class today. Those kind of terms would come to mind when you spoke about a tax collector. Let me ask you this question. 
Do you sometimes feel like that? Do you feel like somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone's put a label on you? Someone has looked at your life and you're being said, they're hopeless. Is your lifestyle such maybe where in certain groups of people, they might say to you, you're not welcome. Would, would people sometimes look down on you if they knew all about you and say, now that is a bottom feeder of society. That's how it was for Matthew. This guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector. And he was totally looked down upon by the realm of his society, the Jewish society, because he was considered a traitor, because he was hired by the Roman government to collect taxes. And the way he made his living was not by being paid by the Roman government, by overcharging his people, and he profited the difference. So we have this man who everybody looks down with disdain, but look what the Bible says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw... What? A man. Now, it's interesting because if you go to the Gospel of Luke, and Luke, by the way, was a Gentile doctor, and he wrote his, he was not a contemporary follower of Jesus Christ. He got his information by interviewing certain people, okay, about the life of Jesus, and then he wrote the Gospel of Luke. So, if you go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, you'll read something like this. And there was a tax collector named Matthew. And, and Luke maybe interviewed Matthew and said, you know, by the way, I was a tax collector. You know, before I met Jesus, I was a tax collector. And Luke put that down there. And so the first thing that Luke noted, boy, he was a tax collector. He was a really bad sinner. And then if you go to Mark, which is also recorded, it says, Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And he just sort of quotes his name. But notice what Matthew says. Matthew says that when Jesus looked his way, he saw simply a man. That's really good news for you today. If you're one of these people that I ascribe, that, that, that not wanted, hopeless, traitor, bottom feeder, great sinner. Jesus looks at you today and he sees a person, a man, a woman, a child that he loves very, very much. But you're probably sitting there today, possibly, and you're going, Dwayne, you don't know my story. See, I've gone way too far down the road. There is simply no way that God's grace could ever forgive me. Ah, you just don't know how great the power of God's amazing grace is. You cannot go far enough where His grace is not sufficient. Oh, but Dwayne, I'm too old. No, no, listen, listen. That's incredible. If you're sitting here today... And that's everybody, and that's in this room, and you're breathing. There's hope. Come on, amen? There's hope. As long as there's life, there is hope. So today, I want to tell you a story of amazing, incredible grace. I know, it seems like you, you've seen the sign hung out too many times. But then Jesus does something that's totally unexpected. He looks at this, this sinner, this bottom feeder, this, this person that... that Society is home with great disdain and says, follow me. And you know what's cool? He doesn't say, we're going to send you to rehab first. We're going to clean you up first. Uh, we're going to, if you, listen, if you come six Sundays in a row, we'll talk. He just looks at, at Matthew and says, follow me. A very simple invitation. And that's what Jesus offers to every person today. 
in this room. Now, some of us received the invitation a long time ago, but for some of you, the invitation is fresh in you today. You've walked into this building and, and you, man, you're, you know, maybe your life's a mess. You know it's a mess. Maybe not. And Jesus is saying, hey, follow me. Let me tell you a couple of things I know. It's not in the Bible, but I know it because I know people pretty good. You can mark it down that Matthew was one surprise dude. Of all the things that he was expecting Jesus to say, the, the, the religious teacher of that day, the one who really had everybody's ear and eye, it wasn't follow me. He probably expected this, this religious teacher to come down on him like everyone else and say, why don't you change your life? Why don't you quit this simple thing? But he didn't. So I bet, I bet Matthew's going, he wasn't the only one. Jesus got 12 followers. Now what they did was, they sold everything. They sold their boats, they sold their nets, they sold everything because they thought Jesus was going to be the earthly Messiah King and they were going to be the princes. He was going to have a throne in Jerusalem. He was going to overthrow the Roman government and they were going to be right smack dab in the middle of it. Yay, God! And when Jesus said to the sinner person, follow me, I'm sure they're going, we didn't hear that. Does he not... Does he not see where this guy is sitting? It's called a tax booth. He's in the tax office. Jesus, this is bad for business. Jesus, if you ever hope to win the scribes and the Pharisees over, you can't do this. Jesus, you've got to withdraw that offer. But Jesus didn't. He said, follow me. You know what Matthew did? The Bible says that Matthew simply got up and followed Jesus. How incredible is that? I know it's simple, isn't it? He simply got up. Now, now Luke tells us in his account, Luke chapter 5, he tells us a little bit more of the story. Because again, Luke's taking notes one day. He says, well, Matthew, how did exactly it happen? And I just hear Matthew going, well, Luke, it happened like this. I'm sitting at the tax office, and, and Jesus looks at me, and he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't say, hey, you dirty tax collector! He just looks at me as a person and says, follow me. Luke, it's almost like he saw beyond my sinfulness. It's like he saw beyond my job. It's like he saw beyond my title. And saw what I could be in him. If I was willing to trust him. And so Luke, I got up. And I left everything behind. And I followed him. Isn't that incredible? I know. See, it's cool. See, this is not like you can, like, you know, trust Jesus as Savior and, like, go back the same old way. Jesus just doesn't do that. Because it's not like something you've got to think. You don't have to be Thomas the train going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's just that when you follow Jesus and, you, and He comes into your life, things change so much, it's easy to leave some of that junk behind. It's almost like Jesus says, hey, Come on, let me take the garbage out. We'll do that. But let me do it. You don't necessarily need to worry about it. You just trust me. You just believe in me. You follow me. And Matthew did exactly that. So we've got Matthew going, we got 12 guys following Jesus going, and the Pharisees, they've already fainted on the ground. They're out of business. So what happens? We, we, we move into from the invitation to a party. Look what it says. 
So while he was reclining at the table, now, now time out. Again, you got to go back to, to Luke chapter 5. The Bible says that Matthew was like way overwhelmed that, that this teacher, this Jesus, would invite him to follow him. He was so filled with gratitude, he throws a party. And that's exactly what Luke says. Luke says, Matthew says, Jesus, it's like way cool. We have got to have a celebration. So Matthew throws a huge banquet in Jesus' honor. And so Jesus is now at the Matthew's house and reclining at the table. They didn't sit in chairs then. They leaned on one elbow and ate their grapes and stuff, you know. And so the Bible says he's at the table, reclining at the table in the house. And many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. So Matthew throws a party in the honor of Jesus and his disciples are invited. And who's Matthew going to invite? Trust me, he didn't know too many Pharisees. In our language, he didn't know too many deacons. He certainly didn't know many pastors. He didn't know many Sunday school teachers. So he's going to have this party. Who's he going to invite? People he knew. So he gets on his first century phone and calls Frank, the tax collector, and says, Hey, Frank, listen, I've met this guy named Jesus and he invited me. Listen, how about coming over for supper tonight? Because I want you to I want you to meet this Jesus guy too. And so he calls Frank and Bob and Charlie and Jeff, all these tax collectors. Now, because Matthew wasn't very religious, he also knew some other sinners. Because the Bible says Jesus is at the table reclining, and Jesus and, and Matthew invited all these tax collectors and sinners. Which means, by the way, probably. There were some prostitutes there, maybe, standing in the background because women weren't allowed at the table with the men. But there might have been some prostitutes over here. There's some liars and there's some cheats and there's some, some other kind of people there. All these room full of sinners. Which is kind of like church. Because you see, not one of us today have not sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Matthew was so filled with gratitude that, that he had to have a party for Jesus. I'm not so sure that's what we're supposed to do every week. All us sinners are supposed to get together. And those of us who know Jesus are supposed to celebrate, come on now, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And by all our friends who have not yet been forgiven and say, you've got to come and hear about this man named Jesus. That was, that's what church is about. Now, wait a minute, Dwayne. Don't you know this is the 21st century? Excuse me, God doesn't change. God just is a God who loves people. And so, so we have this, this huge party going on. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus was uncomfortable? Do you think as Jesus reclined there and was eating the grapes and whatever they had, do you think he was going... Oh, man, this is like cooties in the second grade. I don't think he did. In fact, if you read, we all read the Bible, amen? If you read the Bible, you'll find out that Jesus really liked hanging around sinners. And more incredible than that is that sinners like hanging around Jesus. How wild is that? In fact, the only people Jesus didn't have much time for... What's up, scribes and Pharisees, the religious, real super religious people? They didn't want to hang around him, and he didn't want to hang around too much around them, unless he was criticizing them. How incredible. 
See, that helps us because you know, if Jesus you know, didn't have a problem hanging around sinners, maybe we shouldn't either. In fact, I don't, I'm not much of a fisherman. I still remember Brent Holloway asking me 12 years ago, so do you have any hobbies? And I said, no. And in my basement are some hooks and lines and sinkers that I've wanted maybe twice in 12 years. So I'm not much of a fisherman, but I know this. If you never put a line in the water, you'll never catch a fish. And if we do not hang around sinners, which shouldn't be hard because we are one, it would seem like we're not going to catch any fish. So the, so the scribes and Pharisees had a problem with it. But what about us? Are we a church that can be comfortable with sinners? I've I got a couple of pictures I want to show you. You know, I really liked a couple of times ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the, the red door idea. It's I think week before Easter. And the red door symbolized openness. And hey, come, come here about Jesus. Okay, can you get that picture up? Yeah, yeah. Now, I know you can't read this very well, so I'm going to read it for you. It says something like this. Um, um, for church use only, no trespassing. This is an actual picture. Let me ask you a question. Does the church send that message sometime? Do we somehow send the message out there? And by the way, not just us. I said the church. Does the 21st century church send the message out that, hey, we're, this is for the good people. All you bad people, you get good and then you can come in. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Jesus did not feel that way. How about the next one? Yeah, it's, it's a little sign there with the white door that says, no trespassing. With a chain across the door. It, do the church, does the church send the message out to the world today that there's a chain across our door and says, you just can't come in? You've got to be a certain quality of good before you can come in? Y'all said this before and I'll say it again. You know, if, if heaven was for perfect people, good people... Heaven would be empty. Because there is none righteous. There is none. Here's what God's word says. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Heaven's not for good people. Heaven is for a, as a place for people to experience the great grace and forgiveness of God. You are going to heaven today if you're going because you've been forgiven of your sins. Not because you're good enough. Not because you claim to be a badness. Not because you've been dumped in some water. You're going to heaven today, if you're going, because of God's amazing grace. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, because we send this message that you've got to be a certain good to come to church, you've got to have a certain standard, you've got to stop and start certain things if you want to come to church. Well, first off, it's like crazy. It's like saying a hospital, you've got to get well before you come in. I, I saw our friends on the highway that had a sign up that said, the church is not a club, it's a hospital. And all I can do is say amen. But look at this next. Because we send this message, look at this sign. Do not park in driveway. No mushroom hunting. No other hunting. No church people ever. Owner is dangerous with a gun. I really think, listen, listen. I don't know about that sign. I don't know the history of that sign. It's an actual sign. But my point is this. Is it possible that we've forgiven people are sending the wrong message to the unforgiven people. And they're responding with, we don't like you. We don't want to hang around you. You think, you think Matthew you know, had it bad. I'm telling you, in society today, the church is sending a message that you're just not good enough. And that's exactly opposite of what Jesus said. How does that happen? 
Well, we look at the critics here. Look, look at the critics. It's verse 11. Now, here's the amazing thing. Well, let me read it and I'll tell you the amazing thing. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So, and by the way, notice they're watching. So here they are at Matthew's house. The room is filled with tax collectors and sinners. There's Jesus right in the middle of them. The twelve disciples are sitting there. They have no fingernails left. I mean, they have chewed their fingernails off. They're going, this is not good. I'm telling you, this is not good for business. It's not good. Well, you know, what's the, what's the denomination going to say? What's the convention going to say? What's people going to say? This is not good. We shouldn't be here. All that is going on. And the Pharisees are apparently, I guess, looking in the windows going... Can you believe he's eating with them? And he calls himself a religious teacher? He, he calls himself a rabbi? And here's the amazing part. These scribes and Pharisees were Jewish. Let me give you a real short history of the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion. It all started with a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was a bona fide no doubt about it, no holes barred, pagan. Didn't know who God was, didn't care who God was. He had his own gods, it wasn't the God. And one day the God spoke to him and said, Hey Abraham, I want you to leave your home and go to a place I'm going to show you. Notice again, just like Matthew, no, if you'll do this or do that, he said, I want you to come, I want you to follow me. And that's exactly what Abraham did, okay? And here's what God said. Abraham, listen, his name was Abraham, then Abraham, Abram and Abraham. And then he said this, he goes, listen, listen, listen. He goes, I'm going to bless you. And all the nations there, say all the nations, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. So Abram, Abraham, was called by God. He believed God, and that was counted as righteousness for him, okay? And he was called to be a blessing to the nations, to let other people know there's a real God and His name is not Saturnus, Yahweh. How cool. So anyway, so Abraham has you know, relatives and relatives and relatives. And finally, finally, those relatives all end up in a place called Egypt. And in 400 years, they multiply and multiply and multiply. And they're a slave nation. They have, most of them have long forgot that there even was a Jehovah God. Not all of them, but most had just simply, generation after generation, where's God, who's God, don't care about God. And God delivered them. Took them on a 40-year journey and put them in the promised land. And they were a slave nation. They had nothing to boast on. It's not like God said, I'm going to do a catalog of, catalog of all the people in the world. I'm going to pick the strongest, the best, most moral nation there is and choose them. Didn't happen that way. God simply out of grace and out of the honor of a covenant chose and made a nation out of Israel. So here's these folks who had a pagan for a father. Okay, they were a slave nation. And these are the people that are saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Isn't that just a little bit strange? With that kind of background? Well, how did it happen to them? Because they got so focused on who they were instead of who God was. And they formed a private club. 
And the private club said, if you're not a Jew, you're a dog. I mean, you, there was like Samaritans who were half Gentile and half Jew. And you, man, you couldn't talk, you couldn't associate, you couldn't even go through Samaria. And these people, who were supposed to be a great blessing, became a, almost a curse to the people that they were supposed to tell God about. Isn't that weird? It really is just strange. In a weird way, a lot of churches have done that today. I'm not saying our church. A lot of churches have done that today. Instead of being a place where people come to hear how they could be forgiven, we send the message, clean up and then come. Wear a certain kind of clothes, then come. Stop this habit or start that habit and then come. But you know what? Can I be very candid? That's just not biblical. God does change people. I am not the same person I was 36 years ago. Still very far from perfect. Very far. But I'm not the same person. And I've got to know there's a room full of people here who all are sinners, but some have experienced God's amazing grace and forgiveness, and you're not the same person, are you? Come on. God has changed you as you walk down the journey with Him. Amen? You're not the same. And that's what's cool. So we should not be repulsed by sinners because we are them, but we should invite them into our family. I wrote something on the bottom of my sermon sheet. It says this. It is too easy for those safely in the boat to forget what it's like to be in the water fighting to survive. It's too easy to forget once you're in the lifeboat, once you've been rescued. It's awful easy to get in the comfy, cozy lifeboat and forget that you were once out there treading water. That neighbor that you really don't like... He doesn't know Jesus. He's on his way to hell. And the guy down the street that every, every morning pulls out in front of you, and you get angry with him, if, he's not, if he hasn't been forgiven, he's on his way to hell. And the only hope, the only answer is Jesus Christ. And this place exists to tell people about Jesus. That's why we're here. Is it easy? No. Something happened this week that made me plumb mad at someone. And they're not necessarily church people. It just made me mad. I said, Lord, you know that's not fair. You know that was not right. And then I said to myself, but then I sometimes do that same thing. And I find myself but then and with God, and I realize that, guess what? He's a sinner and I'm a sinner. He's not perfect and I'm not perfect and neither are any of us. How amazing. So it leads us down then to this last point, the great lesson. So once again, can I get the picture for you? So we got the table, a low table. we got Jesus reclining with the guys around it, the twelve disciples around him. They've got tax collectors, prostitutes, liars, cheats, thieves, adulterers, all this group around here. Okay? And the Pharisees are looking in the window, and they've asked disciples, I guess they went, oh, hey, why is your teacher eating with sinners and tax collectors? They made one mistake. They said it just loud enough. 
where Jesus could hear them. They forgot that Jesus was listening. And by the way, he's always listening. But when he heard this in verse number 12, he said, one, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Two, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Three. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's look at them individually. One, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Really, he's saying this. When a person realizes they're sick, they understand they need a doctor. Now, there are three kind of people who don't go to doctors. One is healthy people. I know. You, I mean, barring you know, the monthly or the yearly annually checkup and things like that. By and large, you go to a doctor... Okay, when you're sick. So if you're healthy, unless you just want to give the doctor $35 copay, you don't really go. You don't go, you know, honey, I'm kind of bored today. I think I'll just go see Dr. Matt. We don't normally do that. Okay? So healthy people don't normally go to doctors. Number two is people who are sick but don't know they're sick. Okay? Like, you know, you could have something like your heart or high blood pressure and feel pretty decent but not understand that you need to go to the doctor because something bad is going to happen. And then the third group of people is what I call the man group. The man group is based on people who know they're sick but are too stubborn to go to the doctor. Like men. I was talking to a friend before church and they were talking about how the doctor, you know, when men do this. We know we need to go to the doctor, but we're men. We don't need a doctor. I know my arm's about to fall off because of infection, but who needs a doctor? I know my ears pound, my blurry, my vision's blurry, and my blood pressure's 600 over 20, 225, but who cares? I'm a man! You know, that's true spiritually. Well, kinda. Because truth is, spiritually we're all sick. There are no healthy spiritually people. Once we've been forgiven, yes, but I'm talking about we're not born healthy spiritually. But there are people who don't know they're sick. They would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I, I, give, I gave to disaster relief fund. You know, I, I, I don't beat my wife. And, and, you know, I've been faithful to my marriage vows. There, there are people who do good things, but they don't understand that they've sinned against holy God. See, there really is no giant scale that usually sits right there. There is no giant scale. And God weighs and says, you're good, so you're in. If you're bad, you're out. All have sinned. In fact, James says this. James says that if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of all. That's pretty incredible. So there's, there's some folks who they'll say, I'm pretty good, but they don't realize they're sinners. They've sinned against the Holy God. And because of that sin, they're separated from Him spiritually here and physically in a place called hell when they die. And there are some people who say, You're right, I know I'm a sinner. And I don't care about God. There's some of those too. How sad. But Jesus said, Those who are well and don't need a doctor, the sick do. If you're here today and you understand, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I've sinned against God. That's me. That's me. 
then may I offer you an appointment today at the end of our service with the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. The great healer of men's souls. He goes on and says this. Go and learn what this means. Our desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is like this is a quote from Hosea 6.6, 6, which says basically the same thing. You know what I found very interesting? Now, who wrote this book? Matthew. Matthew did. If anybody understood mercy, you know, you know Peter was a fisherman, you know, John, James, those, those are ordinary guys. Man, the big center of the group was Matthew. If anybody understood mercy, it was Matthew. And I just think it's kind of cool that here and in Matthew 6, he includes that Jesus said this. Luke didn't. Mark didn't. John didn't. But the guy who had radically experienced God's mercy said, Jesus said this. I think it's important. I'm going to make sure we get this included. So Jesus said, listen, you need to learn this. What I desire is mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that religion and rules and regulations may have its place. But we must be a merciful people if we're going to win this world to Jesus Christ. We have got to show mercy. Listen to Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. He has shown you, old man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Mike in the Old Testament says, man, we're to love justice. Do the right thing. We're to be a merciful people. And in humility, walk with God. And you know why? Because we're sinners just like everybody else. We've just been forgiven. See, we forget what God's done for us. I told you, you know my story. I mean, seriously, a few weeks after birth, I was in the nursery. And mom and dad got mad at the church for about two years. But I still went with my brother. So I've been in church all my life. But I didn't meet Jesus until I was 21. I have not smoked. I have not chewed. I have not drank. I have not done drugs. I have not, I have not, I have not, I have not. But I'm telling you, without Jesus Christ, I would have split hell wide open. Morality is not it. Jesus is. It'd be easy for a person like me or a person like you, if you've been saved a while, to go, you know, come on. God is blessed to have me on his team, and you know it. I don't give 10%. I give 15 You know, I, I, I am a good person. Friend, you just forgotten what Jesus did for you. Apart from God's amazing grace, you're hell-bound. Hell-bound. I love what Andy Stan- I'm sorry, what Charles Stanley said. Remember Charles Stanley, one touch, First Baptist Church, Atlanta? He was driving to church one day, and he saw a homeless guy pushing a buggy. And... He said with himself, you know, what kind of guy is that? And the thought he said from God came to him, but by the grace of God, there goes you. See, apart from God's grace, it could be us out there treading water trying to survive. 
But because of someone telling you a story of going to a revival, someone coming to your house, opening the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart in your bedroom one day. But for that, you'd be lost too. So Jesus says, all that has its place, but mercy, mercy, mercy is fun. And James, I won't go there because of time, but in James chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there, he multiplied to me. There my burden soul found liberty at Calvary. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, guys. And we need to come home to that. No one likes it when I say this. I'm sure I'm talking about lunch way too often. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Get on the internet. Listen to interviews. Find a religious leader you respect and listen to what they say. The world thinks we're just a bunch of judgmental, too good people. Somehow, the church has lost the mercy and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't want anything to do with us because of that. We must be careful to be people of mercy. And then he says this. I didn't come to call the righteous. You know why? The righteous were the scribes and Pharisees. They were so religious. They were, they were, they were tone deaf. It's like, you know, I, I used a chainsaw for way too long. And there are certain frequencies, which happens to be about the tone of Judy's voice, now that I think about it. There are some tones that I just don't hear. Oops. But, but incredibly, I can hear a clock ticking across the room 25 feet away. It's like I've, I've lost a certain frequency of hearing. The scribes and Pharisees had tuned out, had toned out Jesus, grace, mercy, and love. They couldn't hear. I, I didn't come to call righteous. They couldn't hear. But sinners. But sinners. Today, if you're here... Today, if you're here and you've heard all those labels before, I want you to know something. There's a God and there's Jesus, His Son, God in the flesh, who walked this earth, who allowed Himself to be nailed to an old rugged cross. They put Him in a grave and as we celebrated last week, on the third day He resurrected, proving He's the Son of God. There is a God And he does not see the labels. What he sees, he does see a sinner. But he sees the potential of that sinner forgiven by God's grace. He sees what you can be in Jesus, in himself. And I told you it would be a physician appointment at the end of the service. In just a few moments, I'm going to have Brother Brent come down and stand here. And this is not, I'm going to have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads. This is not to embarrass you in any way. The truth is, well, hey, the doctors used to make house calls. They don't make house calls too often anymore. So, so Brent is not the doctor. Jesus is. But he's the receptionist. You come and say, Brent, I want to know this man named Jesus. 
a man who looks beyond my labels and sees what I can be in him. And we'll take this book, the most trusted book in the world, God's holy word, and we'll tell you exactly what it means to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, have your sins forgiven, and come into the family of God. This book, not some Baptist credo, not something the Sub-Baptist Convention wrote, we'll take this book today. I told you I was defeating everybody today. If you're unforgiven, that's your appointment. But maybe you're here today and you have been forgiven. But maybe you need to come back to the doctor for a checkup. I'm telling you guys, you know me, I, I try to be pretty transparent with you. And again, some of y'all don't like that. And I know that, that's okay. But I just need to tell you, these are things I wrestle with. I've got just a little bit too much judgmental blood in my veins for my, my liking and God's liking. But if you heard today, you know what? Am I a merciful person? Am I quick to hammer someone? Am I quick to point a finger and say that or this? Then maybe, maybe you need to come to the fountain of Jesus and drink very deeply of his mercy again. I heard someone say once that if we could get one glimpse of heaven and one glimpse of hell would be changed forever. If we could see what God saved us from, the, the fire where the worm dies not, the bottomless pit, the blackness, but mostly eternity separated from Him. We would, you talk about filled with gratitude. We would just be overwhelmed, fresh and anew, with immense gratitude of what He's done for us. So maybe you need to come to the great physician today for a checkup. Now, particularly in this case, you know what to do. You need to talk to God. And I'm going to have you bow your heads in a moment. And if you've been forgiven, why don't you take a moment and do that? Let Jesus make a house call right where you're sitting. Just don't be the person who says, who, me? They may need it. He may need it. My wife needs it. But not me. Not me. Not me. Would you bow your heads, please? God, thank you for this incredible privilege of preaching your word today. And um, God, thank you that you see beyond the labels that men and women place on us. And you see sinners, you see a person in their sin, but you love them so much and you make a way that they could be forgiven of their sin and come to a relationship with holy God. How incredible is that? So I pray for my friends here today who may think they've gone too far, who may think that they're beyond hope, that have heard the critical words of people both in and out of the church, long enough where they believe that there's no hope for them. And Holy Spirit, would you please draw them to Jesus today, where they can receive forgiveness and hope, peace and grace. And God, for us, we who are safely in the boat, Father, I'll speak for me, but I don't think I speak alone. We wrestle with mercy sometimes. We want people to change and then we accept them. Forgive us of that, God. Forgive us when we forget what you did for us. Forgive us when we forget that we are sinners too. Just forgive. We needed a Savior. And we need a Savior. We needed a Savior. But we need 
a Savior. So God, on behalf of the folks gathered here, the ones listening on the radio, and me, help us to. Help us to be a station of mercy and love to those in the water. This is your time, Jesus. I give it to you and ask you to bless it. And I pray in your name. Amen.